Our sermon today is taken from James chapter 5, verses 7 to 11. This is the word of God. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Thus says the Lord. Amen. Thanks, Michael. So, friends, uh, if you've been with us the past few weeks, you know we are going through the book of James, and you also know that we're nearing the end of the book of James. So next week will be our last sermon uh, in the book of James, because it's the last chunk of, of the letter. And after this, we're going to have two sermons. On the, uh, after next week, we're going to have two sermons on the Psalms, and then we're going to start our next big series through the book of Romans. So that should be exciting, uh, I think, and, and, and fun for us, hopefully, maybe. I know it will be. And um, it will be beneficial for us as well. And I hope going through uh, the book of James has been beneficial for you. It definitely has been helpful for me in many, many different levels. Because if you've been with us, the book of James, as you have um, heard the past few weeks, it's a very practical letter. It's talking about a lot of practical, everyday issues that, that we face, like how to handle conflicts, how to forgive one another. Uh, it talks about church unity, how to stay faithful when the world and the culture around us pushes back on these truths that we hold dearly well, in our Christian values. But the way James addresses these practical, everyday issues, he does it by more than just giving us practical solutions. He, he helps us by addressing the larger foundational concepts that are behind these everyday issues, right? So he's addressing things like uh, pride and human limitations and the power of our words and the concepts of justice and mercy as it relates to the practical issues like conflict resolution and church unity and during persecution. You see what I'm saying? It's, it's kind of like talking to Yoda. You know what I mean? You tell Yoda, you know, I'm feeling scared about life right now. And he goes, named your fear must before you banish it, can. And you're just like, what? That makes no sense. What are you talking about? Just tell me what to do, Yoda. And Yoda's like, no, I'm going to talk about these crazy meta, you know, understandings behind the concepts in order to help you with the practical, with the practical issue. So it's helpful, not only in a practical way, but I think it's also helpful as we see these bigger theological concepts uh, behind them, okay? And the passage we're going to talk about today, it's addressing the same practical issue that James has been addressing in the whole letter. What is that practical issue? He's again addressing the practical issue of uh, helping the church not to infight among themselves and also to help, helping people in the church stay faithful when they're experiencing pushback from the world for their faith. But again, he addresses this practical issue by addressing a bigger, more foundational concept behind it. And this time, the bigger, more foundational concept behind this practical issue is the concept of patience. That's what he talks about, patience. If you want to have real church unity, 
If you want to be able to stay faithful to Jesus Christ when life gets tough, when the culture pushes back on you, then you've got to have patience, okay? And there's, there's four things that I want to point out in regards to patience from this passage. One, what patience is. Two, what patience embraces. Three, what patience looks like. And four, what patience sees. What patience is, what patience embraces, what patience looks like, and what patience sees, okay? Point number one, what patience is. Let's start in verse seven. James in our passage starts off by saying, be patient therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Now, this is not always the case, but I think it's helpful to look into the original Greek uh, so that we can know what the actual word or, or concept means. And in the Greek, the word patience means macrothymia. Macrothymia. Macro means long, big, right? Today we use that term in like macroeconomy, right? It's a long picture, the big picture, okay? And thymia means mind, soul, or spirit, some kind of substance like that. Okay, so macrothymia. Macrothymia, or patience in Greek, really means to have a long mind or a long soul or a long spirit. Or another way to describe it, I think, in our culture today, is a patient person is somebody who has a long fuse. You ever heard that phrase, having a long fuse? If you're not familiar with it, a fuse is, think, think of a, a cartoon dynamite. You know what I mean? Has, has that long string. The, the fuse is the thing, the string that the fire burns on. And if it burns quickly and it reaches a dynamite, then it explodes. Patience, James is saying, is having macrothymia, is having a long fuse. This is the key. You know, <clears throat> our church, CCC, we're growing and things are exciting and things seem to be going well. But we're only three and a half years old. And the likelihood is we're going to be tempted with many issues in the future that could be divisive. We're going to be tempted with many issues that's going to cause a lot of infighting. We're going to be tempted from pushback and confronted with pushback from the culture outside of us. And it's going to be tempting for us to waver from the word of God and the faithfulness therein. And if you want to survive past this year, James is saying, church, if you want to survive past next year, or if you want to survive for more years to come, then each one of us, we have to have a long fuse. And look, if there's ever a culture, I think, in the history of mankind that discourages cultivating a long fuse, it's the culture of modernity that we live in today. The culture of instant, right? Instant delivery, instant information, instant noodles, right? The concept of instant everything, fast, 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 quick, 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 now, now, now. And look, don't get me wrong, I love instant. Instant is my friend. Ask my wife, you know, you know the five love languages? You know, we know what they are? Words of affirmation, touch, acts of service, quality time, gifts. They, they forgot my love language. You know what it is? It's efficiency. <laughs> efficiency is my love language. If you're efficient, I wanna hang out with you. No matter what you do, cook, make Legos, whatever. I want to be with you, okay? Efficiency isn't wrong. Instant isn't wrong. The second I click order on Gojek, I want the food in my hands right now. I want it now, you know? And, I, and we all do that, right? We, we order the food and we follow the Gojek 
deliverer, like we're his guardian angel, you know, don't take that route, you know, don't, what are you doing? There's traffic there, and we just want it now, now, now. Everything is quick, everything is now. A comedian in Netflix said, um, uh, we're, not, we, we're not content with uh, Amazon Prime now. What we want today is Amazon Prime before, right? We, we want Amazon to order us what we want before we know we even want it so that when we want it, we have it now in our hands. We want it now. If there's ever a culture in the history of mankind that discourages having a long fuse, it's our culture today. And as, as funny as it may be, <coughs> I think uh, having this short fuse is more harmful to our society than we think we think it is. A, a preacher once talked about or quoted a study, uh, an article done in Psychology Today, and Psychology Today did this research about why addictions, drug addictions, seem to continue to grow year after year as we move on to modernity in all ages and all demographics. And they did some research and interviews and studies, and here's what they said. Here's what Psychology Today came up with. They said... One of the biggest reasons of why drug use continues to increase year after year is because as we move on in modernity, people seem to lose, and I quote, people seem to lose their psychic middle ground. Frustration catapults into crisis. As we move on to modernity, people seem to lose their psychic middle ground. Frustration catapults into crisis. What does that mean? to have a very short psychic middle ground so that our frustrations catapult into crisis. What do they mean by that? Well, what they mean, I think, is that we today have short fuses. We don't have macrothymia. The fuses of those who live in this age of instant are short. So if fire sparks in this end, in no time, things go kaboom. We lack a psychic middle ground, frustration catapults to crisis. And, And look, It's not a matter of whether or not our church will experience frustrations. That's a given. It's going to happen. It's not a matter of whether or not our church are going to experience the frustrations of of pushback from outside, from the culture. That's going to happen. What will keep our church united, what will keep our church um, faithful to the word of God is not the absence of frustrations, but it's having a long fuse so that when frustrations happen, we don't go kaboom. So that we'll be able to Develop deep and mature relationships to remain united because, look, you may be the most efficient person on the planet, but when it comes to developing relationships in between us, when it comes, when it comes to making meaningful relationships, those, those don't happen instantly. Meaningful, deep relationships that can handle internal conflict, those don't, hap- those don't come in an instant package. Look, exciting relationships might come in an instant package, Interesting connections between you and somebody else could happen in an instant, but true meaningful relationships, they don't happen instantly. Now, you may come and and say to me, you know, but I met this person and we felt like we really had a deep, meaningful interaction and and I really, really like them. And I hate to break it to you, but you don't really like them. Here's what happened. You like the person they presented themselves to be. You were enchanted by the person they presented themselves to be. And the same thing with you, by the way. When somebody meets you for the first time and you're able to impress them, they're drawn into you. They weren't really drawn to you. They don't really know you yet. They've been enchanted by the person you presented yourself to be. Now, none of us does that purposely, okay? None of us wake up in the morning saying, 
hmm, how can I enchant somebody today? No, nobody, no, none of us say that. It's just something we do. We, that's how relationships work, right? You put your, your best feet forward, you hide your imperfections, and you go from there. So here's what I'm trying to say. You know who your real friends are? You know who, who are those who really love you? Your real friends are those who remain with you past the disenchantment phase. Your real friends are those who stick with you past the disenchantment phase. Real friends are those who's remained with you long enough after they've, they've seen you to where you can no longer hide your imperfections behind your spells. And those who remain with you on the other side past the disenchantment period, those are your most meaningful friendships and relationships. And you know what you need to move past that disenchantment phase? A long fuse. You need patience. If this church, or really if any church, wants any hope of survival from the threats of infighting, from the threats of external pushback, we have to have macrothemia. But for the tr truth is, I think, for the most part, we don't. A lot of us are not patient, and even the most patient ones in this room have room to grow, okay? Well, how do we do that? Let, let's move on in our passage. Point number two, what patient embraces. Let's read the rest of verse seven to eight. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now, patience here, I think we see in the book of James, contrary to popular belief, patient does not look like this passive person just, just sitting there doing nothing or just standing there saying nothing. That's not what, what patience means. Look, look at the farmer here that's implied in this book. This farmer is not being passive. He's still planting seeds. He still has to till the ground. He still has to do a lot of work. But his activities, here's the key, okay? His activities are limited to the early and late rains. So back then, farmers didn't have fancy irrigation and watering systems like we do today. Completely different, right? So they are completely dependent upon two rainy seasons throughout the year. The first one is in early March, and the second one is in late November. And in order for their crop to grow, the farmer must be patient, must have macrothemia, and acknowledge his own limitations. Still work, yes, of course, but his work, in a sense, must be limited to the rain schedule. If he refuses to acknowledge his limitations and he plants the seed way too early because of impatience, the seed's going to die before the rain comes. In other words, the wise farmer will understand the difference, here it is, between a goal and a hope. The wise farmer will understand the difference between a goal and a hope. A goal is something that you can actually control and do, like planting a seed, right? Think about a goal as actionable steps you can actually accomplish. A hope is something that's outside of your control, like the early and late rains. Think about a hope as things that happen outside of your control, okay? A goal and a hope. Now, think about this in terms of relationships as it pertains to church unity. In a relationship, okay, you've probably experienced this. Um, if there's tension, somebody says the wrong thing, uh, somebody rubs you the wrong way, or you rub somebody else in the wrong way, there are goals and hopes when it comes to reconciliation. Goals or actionable steps would include you doing everything you can choose to do. You can choose, for example, 
to sit down and pray and figure out why you're so reactive to this person. You can choose to pray and, and think about the situation and, and, and pray for the, for the person that you're in conflict with. You can choose to get counsel to help you navigate through it. You can choose to not gossip and backstab this person. You can choose to move towards forgiveness by doing these steps. You then can choose to call them up maybe at some point and, and set up a meeting with them to talk about it. You see, these are all goals. These are all actionable steps you can actually take and do. You're tilling the ground. You're planting the seed. But for the crop of reconciliation to happen, it takes more than just you doing your part. It takes more than just you doing your actionable steps. For reconciliation to happen, the other person must also respond well. You see? The other person must also work on forgiveness. The other person must also be praying for the situation. The other person must also choose not to gossip and backstab you and repent. See, the actionable items are the ones you can control. The, the hopes are the ones you can't control, outside of your control. What James is saying here, if you're impatient in unity, in reconciliation, in relationships, if you're impatient, you're going to try and control not only your goals, but you're going to try and expect to control your hopes as well. And when you try and control your hopes, life will be very frustrating for you because you can't control hopes. You see, they're out of your control. You can't control the rain. If, if you expect that every relational tension is cleared up in your timing, if you expect that every injustice has to be dispelled in your own schedule and every misunderstanding has to be settled on your calendar and every mistake has to be forgiven in your timetable and every sinner has to repent according to your itinerary, you're going to be very, very disappointed all throughout life because you can't control the rain. You can only do your part. And guess what disappointed, frustrated people do? Look at verse 9. They grumble at everything. That's the problem. You know why we're impatient? Because we're trying to control our hopes. You can't control a hope. That's why it's called a hope. The farmer can't micromanage the rain. You want to be a patient person. You want to have a long fuse. You want to walk around not as a disappointed grumbler. Then here's what you have to embrace. You have to embrace your limitations. You'll never be able to have a long fuse, and you'll never be able to embrace your limitations unless, here's the key, you believe what James is emphasizing here, unless you believe that the Lord is coming back. James hits on that theme three times in verses 7 to 9. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Verse 8, you also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. You have to believe in that. Unless you have the certainty that God one day will come back and every victim of unfair gossip will be vindicated, every victim of injustice will be venerated, every manipulative act hidden in the dark will be brought to the light. Unless you know those things will happen, you're always going to be tempted to micromanage your hopes. You're always going to be tempted to control things you can't control. And you're going to be disappointed. And you're going to have a short fuse. And you're not going to be able to have deep relationships with people. Okay? So, let's summarize. You want to have a long fuse? Then you have to remember, one, your limitations. 
And two, you have to remember that justice delayed is not justice denied. You want to have a long fuse? One, embrace your limitations and remember that justice delayed is not justice denied. It's not. It's not according to the Christian worldview. And until you truly believe that, you won't have a long fuse and your frustrations will catapult into crisis. Okay? So, you read this and we're thinking, James, okay, so you're saying, if I truly believe that God will come back one day and he'll make all things right, that's gonna help me be patient and then that's gonna help me transcend into monk level, right? I'm just gonna be this like serene and tranquil person my whole life and I'm gonna sing Kumbaya, right, all of my days. Is that what you mean? No, that is not at all what James is talking about. Let's move on in our passage and see what he says your life will look like if you're a patient person, okay? Let's go to point three, what patience looks like. Here's what it looks like. The first example James uses in verse 10 is that your life will look like the Old Testament prophets, Verse 10, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Now, how did the Old Testament prophets live? Were they monk status? Were they singing kumbaya? Were they just serene and tranquil their whole lives? No. Oh, my. Far from it. Jeremiah was killed by the Babylonians because they're being faithful. he's being faithful to God. Isaiah was killed by King Manasseh because he's being faithful to God. A lot of them were being persecuted not only by outside of the church, but also by people in the church. See, the Old Testament prophets, they, they did their part. They accomplished their actionable steps. They spoke up against injustice. They spoke up against sin. They preached God's word and, and spoke against false worship. They worked. They tilled the ground. They planted the seed. They did their part. But they did not cross the line and try to control things they're not supposed to control. And because of that, they died for it without retaliating back. And it, I mean, if you look at it from their perspective, I guess you can say it's disappointing if you, look, if you have um, you know, a short view of life because what they hoped to see happen didn't happen in their lifetime. Israel was still outcast. Things were still broken. But they did not waver. They didn't change their doctrines uh, to simmer down persecution. They didn't betray God's word to appease the masses. And they called God's people back into unity. In, in, in faithful practice. They remained, verse 11 says, go to verse 11, the Old Testament prophets remained steadfast. Verse 11, behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. Now, this word, steadfast, has a little bit of a different connotation than the word patience, okay? And again, let's go back to the original Greek. I think it's helpful. If patience in Greek is macrothymia, long fuse, a steadfastness in Greek is hypomeno. Hypomeno. Hypo means hyper. Meno means standing. So a steadfast person is a person who's able to remain standing no matter what blows come their way. A, a pastor once used uh, this in a movie illustration, or he used a movie illustration to explain this word hyperstanding. So I'm going to go ahead and steal it. Um, his... his uh, uh, analogy was there's a movie I don't know if you've seen it Bridge of Spies Tom Hanks movie 2015 okay uh, in this movie someone in this movie was telling telling Tom Hanks a story about his childhood and the guy who was telling the story to Tom Hanks told him 
that one day his village was run over by warlords, uh, rogue militia, right? And his father was beaten, his mother was beaten, and also his father's friend was beaten. But, he said, there's something different about my father's friend, the man said. Every time they beat him up, he would fall down, but then he'd get back up. He'd remain standing. And then they'd beat him up again, then he'd fall back down, then he'll get back up. And then they'll beat him up again, then he'll, he'll just, he keeps getting back up and keeps standing up. And that's why I think they stopped beating him. Stoiki Mushik is what they called him, the man said, which literally means standing man. That's hypomeno. Standing man. Do we have hypomeno? Now, now, do you see how hyperstanding is connected to having a long fuse? You see that? You can only hyperstand if you have a long fuse. In all areas of life, when friends fail you, you have a long fuse that's going to help you remain steadfast to at least consider in the future the possibility of one day forgiveness and reconciliation. When the culture fails you and persecutes you for believing in the gospel, your long fuse, that's what's going to help you remain steadfast and not abandon your Lord and Savior. Despite cultural pressures, the standing man has to have a long fuse. Has to. And look, the church will crumble. We will never have hope, CCC, in withstanding the frustrations of internal infighting We'll never have hope in withstanding frustrations of external cultural pushback unless we become long-fused, hyper-standing men and women. It's not enough just for the pastors to do it. It's not enough just for the elders to do it. It's not enough just for the community group leaders and the Bible study leaders to do it. Every person must be it, lest we become another cliché. Another church split up because of infighting. Another church giving in to the ways of the world. We're only three and a half years old. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Be long-fused, hyper-standing men and women. So, the question is, how can members of the church become long-fused, hyper-standing men and women? Well, we all must be able to see something, which is our last point what patient sees. Let's go to verse 11. You have heard, uh, the last part of verse 11. You have heard, James says, of the steadfastness of Job. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Here's what he's saying. You want to have a long fuse? Despite relational conflicts, despite unjust accusations made against you, you want to have a long fuse? You want to be able to hyperstand in all areas of life? Also in your marriage, You want to have a long fuse in your marriage? You want to have a long fuse when it comes to raising your kids? Dealing with coworkers? In order for you to to be long-fused, hyper-standing men and women, you have to believe, here's what James is saying in the second part of verse 11, you have to believe that even the darkest of nights, even in the worst of scenarios, the Lord is allowing it to happen because he is compassionate and merciful. You have to see that. The Lord is letting it happen because he's compassionate and merciful. That's what we've got to see. Every conflict, every gossip, every injustice, every hurt, every hidden manipulative act, everything. Everything is somehow purpose for compassionate and merciful reasons. And a good example of somebody who does this is Job. 
That's the example he uses in verse 11, right? Now, this should strike the reader as a bit of a funny example to use because if you know anything about Job, right, he's not the kind of person you would imagine or think about when you think about a long-fused, hyper-standing man. You, you know, you would think about a long-fused, hyper-standing man as this stoical, non-emotional, unmovable person, right? But that's not Job at all. Most of us know the story of Job, do we not? He was a rich man with a happy family, and one day he lost everything. He lost his assets, he lost his savings, he lost his business, he lost his children, he lost his health. And this whole time, his wife was cursing him through it. So he kind of had a broken marriage too in all that. You read the book of Job, and he did not react through all of this in the, pic- in the way that you would picture a long you know, fused, hyper-standing man would react, you know? What do you see him doing? He was crying. He was screaming. He was complaining. He was lamenting. He was on his knees. So you're thinking, why would, look at this guy. He's, why would James use this guy as the example of a long-fused, hyper-standing man? Because, here's why. Because, yes, he was crying. He was screaming. He was mourning and he was lamenting, but he was crying and screaming and mourning and lamenting to God. He'd never abandoned God throughout the whole process. A long-fused, hyper-standing man isn't this strong, robotic, stoic man. No. He's this person who experiences a plethora of emotions, but does not abandon God in the midst of all of it. That is a long-fused, hyper-standing man. Job had a long fuse. Why? Because although he didn't know the reasons behind his suffering, behind the infighting, behind the persecution, see, he still had a long fuse that made him hold on to God until the end of the book. Yes, he faltered here and there. Yes, he failed and sinned every so often. And God rebuked him for it as well at the end of the book. But still he remained faithful to God because he somehow believed that God's purposes for this is compassionate and merciful, even if I don't know how. And at the end, if you read the book of Job, at the end, everything was restored. And at the end, God proved to Job, here it is. Here's one of the main theses of the book of Job. You need to see this if you want to be long-fused, hyper-standing man. God showed Job, and I've said this before, that things will end up being more beautiful, having once been broken, compared to if it was never broken in the first place. He purposes it. No matter how dark and broken it may be right now, he's purposing it for compassionate and merciful reasons. Things will be much more beautiful having once been broken compared to if it was never broken in the first place. That's one of the main theses of the book of Job. You want to have a long fuse, church? And like Job, become a standing man amidst the frustration of internal conflicts in the church and external persecutions. You got to know God purposes all things for compassion and merciful reasons, no matter what the situation is. And it will end up being more beautiful having once been broken compared to if it was never broken in the first place. And you're here saying, okay, you're supposed, I'm supposed to believe that from the book of Job. I can see that. It's a bit of a stretch, but I can see that. But it's not enough to convince me. It's not enough to convince me that God purposes even whatever situation you're in, for the good. Okay, well, if that's the case, then consider not just Job. Because to be honest, Job is not the ultimate example of this. 
The story of Job is not the ultimate story where God uses bad situations for compassionate and merciful purposes, is it? Where, where else do we see that? Well, you read the Bible, you're not going to find another man in, in the Bible really that, that suffers more than Job, that's in a worse situation than Job, except for one man. He was beaten, he was mocked, he was treated unjustly. You can say he experienced a church split because one of his members left, right? He experienced persecution from the outside from the Romans, but yet he remained hyperstanding. Even when his own life was required of him, all of his possessions were gone. He remained hyperstanding. Why? Because he knew, he believed. He had faith, perfect faith, that God is orchestrating this suffering he was in for compassionate and merciful purposes. That's why he's able to endure it. Endure what? The cross. That's why he's able to endure it. Now, at the moment, it probably didn't feel compassionate. At the moment, it probably didn't feel merciful. But at the end of the book, you know what we see? At the end of the story of the cross, we see that horrible event that suffering being the very thing that saved you and I from our sins and our shame. A bad suffering God meant for compassionate purposes. You and I may have everlasting life because Jesus Christ remains steadfast even to the point of death. You see, and now we can trust God. Now we can have long fuses amidst the brokenness in our lives, amidst internal conflicts in our church, amidst external persecutions happening from the culture, because we know he means it somehow for compassion and merciful purposes. And you're saying, but, but you don't understand the situation I'm in. It's, it's broken. It's dire. It's really, really broken. Yes, but look at the cross. He's the kind of God that makes things more beautiful, having once been broken, compared to if it was never broken in the first place. Do you see that? Without sin and brokenness, we would never have any need for the cross. Without the cross, you would have never seen your worth. You would have never seen the depth of God's love for you. It's much more beautiful now, having once been broken. That's the, God, that's the story of God's redemption. Do you see it? Do you see it? I pray that you do. That's, that's the vision you need to have to develop a long fuse. That's what you gotta see and believe, that he has redeemed all things with his blood and he will one day come back and make all things right. That's what's gonna allow you to have a long fuse and hyper stand, remain faithful to God amidst internal conflicts, amidst cultural pushback, amidst marital difficulties, amidst professional disputes, amidst health and financial issues. Stay true to him. You may not see it now, but he means it for compassionate and merciful purposes. So hyperstand for the state of your soul, for the unity and purity of our church, and for the glory of your God. Let's pray. Father, none of us here have long fuses. We don't. We may think we do, but we don't. Not compared to many other men in other ages of history who have not been immersed in this culture of now and immediacy, and we 
ask for forgiveness for that, Father, that we have let our frustrations catapult into crisis because we don't believe you will make all things right, because we take control into our hands, try to micromanage our hopes, and we forget that you are the kind of God that uses even the most dire circumstances for the good. Help us believe that. Help us remember that so that we may, Father, last and not just become another statistic, but last for the long run as a united church who does not waver in the doctrines of your word and stay faithful to you, both in how we treat one another and in our grounding in the Bible itself. Have mercy on us. Make us long-fused, hyper-standing men by pointing us back to the one man who stood even to the point of death, who was faithful even when he lost his life so that we may have life everlasting. And in his name alone we pray. Amen.